So this morning, um, we'll wrap up our, our mini-series, as it were, a, a break on wisdom and clarity and the need for clarity in a complex age. Talking about prudential judgments in the Christian life, again, understanding that there, isn't, there is not going to be a single Bible verse each and every time that will finally answer definitively every problem that you face. It is written in such a manner as to require, aided by the Holy Spirit as a believer in understanding, reading, and prayerfully applying the the breadth of Scripture to your life, and then also the breadth of Scripture to any one particular complex um, issue that you face. One thing I want to talk about this morning, and the thing I want to talk about, and I'm not skilled in being able to talk about these things, so um, uh, we might just have a bumpy ride together. I'm not sure. This isn't my wheelhouse, speaking on sex and sexuality isn't my wheelhouse, but I've I've done sufficient as I can to prepare uh, and to provide a way forward. But I do say I'm not a sexual psychologist or behavioralist by any means, I think you know. Um, But... I do want to kind of break our thought flow into two things that I want to challenge you with. I I want you to be challenged. I want you to think critically about this. And and what I want to do is I want to nail down on the front end um, the idea of sex. And and then from there, um, the activity of sex. And and, and that these two things would would be important for us so that we can understand what sex is as, as as an essence or being. Because that will then inform uh, sexual activity, as it were. So so that we understand by being what happens in acting. Because I I think what we're obsessed with talking about as a culture is the activity. But the activity is wrongly digested and ill-informed of what the activity is, what it's for, what it's accomplishing, and what its effects are upon a human being. Because we fail to understand activity in light of essence. And, and we have this bifurcation often in, in our, the way that we think of it. We think of activity as standalone. And it's separate from the essence of identity and personhood. And so then we find out if we just jump over personhood and jump into activity, we find out there's a bunch of damage done through activity to personhood. Because we, we, we forgot that you're a total person. Activity that is a part of your members will affect you as person. So that's where we want to go this morning. Um, I think something I would caution in having these discussions with myself, me, myself, and I, as I sit and have these discussions, and then also with others, and then as you read and you look over the state of the church, it's unfortunate, but it is true, would be my argument, that even in the church of Christ, I hope not Redeemer, But I I do think, nonetheless, in the broader church of Christ, and each one of us considering thoughtfully our place in it, the idea of freedom, of what we talked about last week, freedom through surrender of autonomy, is a difficult concept. The thought that we actually, by surrendering ourself and our own ideas of what is appropriate and our own self-realization... The idea that surrendering that sense of autonomy is actually liberating by surrendering it to Christ in a vital relationship with the Lord. The idea that that in itself, to surrender my autonomous self unto something greater than myself, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that that is a difficult concept 
for the church of Christ to embrace is certainly regrettable, but true. And the reason for that, the idea that, that, that if I surrender my autonomous self, my, my own way of doing things, I did it my way, declarations, in areas of sex or areas of entertainment or areas of finance or areas of all kinds of different areas of our life, the idea that I would surrender that and somehow I am free in that surrender, for that to be a difficult concept in the church indeed is regrettable, but the reasoning for it is because we have allowed the culture to catechize us in the ways of superficial pleasure. If we go back to what we've been doing in Proverbs, we know that the primary superficial pleasure, and the one I'm addressing this morning, is illicit sexual behavior. Whether it be, again, uh, in consummate sex act with two people, or it be even by proxy viewing other people in sex act and joining in fantasy with the director of said sex act. No matter what it is, it's illicit and forbidden. But we have been catechized that somehow it's not forbidden. It's your right. It's your self-realization. It's your most authentic self. And, and it's my argument to you and to myself. That I find myself in smaller micro ways doing this in my own life. And I would challenge you, as I am myself challenged, with this ongoing catechesis of self-realization is your best path forward to human flourishing. Such a catechesis, learning the talking points, following the behaviors, adopting the attitudes, receiving the definitions, playing on the terminology ground of the culture war, is an outright rejection of the faithfulness and goodness of God in our lives. It's not kind of, sort of, okay. It's a denial of faithfulness. It's a denial of goodness. And it's a reception of all that is wrong in our lives. It is against our own interest as Christians and broader, it's against our own interest as human beings to seek flourishing in illicit behaviors. Rod Dreher in his book, perhaps you've read it, um, it came out, I, I don't remember, maybe two or three years ago, The Benedict Option. Rod is an interesting writer. Um, if you've read him or followed him online some, it was a bit of a firestorm when Benedict Opt came out. Um, uh, but he had some very fair points in the book uh, to consider, one of which I thought he nailed, and that is this thought here um, as we move into the time this morning. He says, quote, Christianity is not a disembodied faith, but an incarnational one. Again, you're thinking of what it means to be a Christian. How am I going to conceive of myself and all that God has given me? Are these two things distinct? Simply, it's just moving body parts, but I'm separate. Body parts don't matter as much as me. Or are these two things belonging together? That what happens to my body parts belongs to me and affects me. How do we get there as Christians? Thoughtfully, Rod says, quote, Christianity is not a disembodied faith, but an incarnational one. God came to us in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and he redeems us, body and soul. The way we treat our bodies says something about the way we regard the one who gave it to us. 
and whose presence fills all things. You see, think about that for a moment. That what we celebrate at Christmas, hopefully always, but particularly heightened perhaps at Christmas, is incarnation. That God dwelt with us in bodily form. And what he redeems about us is not just the soul, but also the body. And that the way then we treat our bodies has something to say about the way we regard the one who gave it. You see, as God's people, Christians, our lives testify to God's goodness. The way we behave ethically speaks to his faithfulness. And our sexual ethics is an inextricable part of the total of our testimony. It cannot be dissected out of the total experience of who we are as people. It's an intricate part of how we testify in family, of how we testify in dating of how we testify in our private time to his goodness, of what he's given and what he's forbidden. To speak of his faithfulness and his nourishment unto me as a man and his faithfulness and his nourishment unto you as a woman. Our sexual ethics are inextricably linked to that testimony. The question then perhaps that we need to ask With that thought in mind, we've looked at wisdom for a couple of weeks now. The idea of the the teacher appealing to the pupil to seek wisdom. To seek it with all that you have. Because wisdom isn't just facts standing alone. They belong by nature. They belong to God. That's why it's, it's irreligious to shun wisdom. Because wisdom belongs to God. It's religious apostasy to be a fool. It's not just neutral. It flows from God who fills all things. So to to, to sit and receive it is to confess and identify with. Your way is better. Lead me on a level path. So the question then this morning just briefly is what does wisdom value? What does wisdom value? And and, and by saying what wisdom values, we could say the same thing. What does God desire, right? Because we're making wisdom and God bound in harmony together. That if there is wisdom, there is God. God's wisdom. He he, he lords over the facts. And, And what brings about human flourishing for all that he has created. So if I'm to ask, what does wisdom value in my sexual life? Is to ask, what does God desire For my sexual life. And when we ask such a question, what does God desire for my sexual life? We need to take yet another, which I know you'll take a deep breath, step back. Right? There's one more layer that we have to ask just previous to finally answering what God desires for my sexual life. And that is simply this. What is the sexual life that God has given me? We're speaking most globally. I want you to think with me because, again, understanding what sex is helps to understand what the activity does. 
They're wed. So, 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 so more globally, we're not talking about act. We're talking about being. What is the sexual life that God has given to me? And we each have to ask this, male and female. Think of it in these terms, Genesis 1. And we'll be getting, we're moving, we're moving towards 1 Corinthians. So you can stay there in the text. I'm simply going to read for you as you can begin to conceive of your sexuality. You can begin to conceive of your sexual life from Genesis 1.27. I'll read you the text. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God. He created. Now, when we talk back through Genesis, this was months ago when we were handling this portion of the text, when we talk about image-bearing, meaning to each one that is created in said image, that means that individual, each one, has a transcendent quality. As a human being, there's not a lesser human being and a more human human being. Human being has transcendent value. Human bears the image of God. And then he speaks about, more particularly, this created image bearer. This one who has transcendent value. There's two he describes. He created him, mankind, man. He created him, male and female. He created them. What do we learn from this? Just briefly, in a quick thought understand what it is that God desires for the sexual life that he has given me. What is the sexual life that he has given me? He has created you as a sexed person. He has created you as a sexed person. Again, you have to track with me very carefully and think this through because this language is all wonky depending on the context in which we have this conversation. And I'm sure if, you're, if, if, if your pulse is on, uh, on, on sexual ethics and culture at all, you realize, like, none of the terms that I'm using are, 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 are going to be agreed upon in their definitions. And so it constantly moves and constantly moves and constantly moves, and we never hit the target. So, so, so just, it, it, I'm just going to make my argument this morning. And I hope that you can track with me and think through how it is biblically reasoned. That you are, that you are man, male in this congregation, here in this room. You are female in this congregation, in the room. You are a sexed person. What this means, in essence, is you are your sexuality. You are your sexuality. You see, we rarely speak of it this way. We speak of sexuality as something that you do. Or maybe we think of it as a picture that you take. An Instagram post that you make. A video that's released or a vibe that you put out. But it isn't. You are your sexuality. I'll clarify and move on. One writer makes this comment. Please hear it, and I hope it's persuasive. He says, quote, Sex is the first thing we notice about someone. 
and the last thing we forget. In social situations, it never quite fades from our awareness. We understand that the man is for the woman as the woman is for the man. This being for is marked in the very differences themselves. You see, God made you a sexual being. And by that, principally, and of first more, first utmost importance, is that means that you are male, or that you are indeed female. So that your sexuality isn't just a bodily trait. Do, do you see that? It isn't merely a bodily trait, but it is everything you think, everything you feel, everything you say, everything that you do that flows from being a man or being a woman. You are male. It's not just a bodily trait, man. You are a woman. It's not just a bodily configuration for females. It's who you are. Now, again, we need to be mindful here. I'm sure as you think through this discussion, perhaps different or framed in a different context, and again, it would be my argument, the reason that it would be hard to receive what seems to be otherwise plain, both given nature and indeed revelation, but we're at the place where we cannot reason from nature almost any longer. Nature has become a matter of national scandal. It's hard to look upon nature and reason. It's hard to look upon nature and think of relations. It's hard to look upon nature because nature is a thing of national scandal. We all are aware of this. So certainly in the moving parts we have to be thoughtful. But being thoughtful does not mean surrender to cultural catechesis. It would be my contention as we think of wisdom in this complex age regarding sex and sexual relationships. It would be my persuasion that our culture seeks to restrict, subvert, and dull your maleness. You can pick any number of political ideas from that or commercials from that or talking points from that. It doesn't matter which particulars. My point is different. I see them in the particulars, but I step back into more broad. And if you calculate and add all up all the particulars, it would be a persuasive thought to say, indeed, culture is seeking to restrict, subvert, and dull your maleness. Likewise, it isn't just the males who modern culture is seeking to subvert and to dull, but it is femaleness. With a new definition of what it means to be female, The best definition simply means be just like the males. 
Our culture is seeking to restrict, subvert, and dull your femaleness. Through which your maleness and your femaleness you conceive of your life in the world. Do you want to steal someone's place? Do you want to steal someone's context? Do you want to steal someone's understanding? Attack their sex. It is interconnected to them as a person. It is a part of how they conceive the world. It's a part of the way they live their life. You do live as a man, believe it or not. And you do live as a woman, believe it or not. In fact, one social writer says this. She writes, this is a, this is a woman. She writes, quote, we live in a world of sexual denial. We are increasingly trying to treat men and women as if they are exactly the same. She concludes, and then we're surprised by the growing sexual confusion. End quote. Again, step back with me from the policies and the implementations of it all. Because each one would have to be argued on their own merits, in their own context, in their own discussions, in their own boundaries. So we can't, we, I can't get off into the woods of each and every pan- campaign. So you just step back from each and indiv- individual implementation of it or campaign against or for it. And just step back and consider it at ground zero. Is what you are currently being fed or told in media and in relations affirming, helpful, and accentuating the differences between male and female? Strengths and weaknesses, complementarity and help and aid, leadership and nourishment. Are we in a place, culture, where these things are being fostered and nourished? No, we're not. We're in a place where the sexes are in competition. And the best place to be is for all of us to be the same. But nature speaks differently. Indeed, so does Revelation. Again, why is the bigger idea of sexual clarity, or sexual identity, I could say, let me say it that way, why is the bigger idea of sexual identity so important for the wise life? We've looked at wisdom for the last few weeks, And we're kind of landing the plane, as it were, this morning on sexual clarity and the wise life, to live wisely and to follow the path that God has set before you, not as an ambiguity person, someone of of ambiguous nature, but as a man, this is who I am. As a female, this is who I am. Why is knowing that, that bigger idea of sexual identity, there's not a thing I do or a body that I have, but a person that I am, Why is that so important for the wise life? If I can't get my arms around it and firmly embrace it as revealed in Holy Scripture and confirmed in nature, I will be worse off. And the answer is because sexuality. I want you to hear this as we segue now into activity. Sexuality is far more than having sex. How so? Right? Because we're, we're fed the, the blurred lines between them. 
Again, it's a vibe you put out. That's sexuality or that's your sex or, 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 or the posts and the screenshots and the, and the belfies. That's who you are. That, that, that's how it works. That's what it means. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. No. No, no, no. That's not it. Your sexuality and having sex or being sexual is not the same thing. Right? Because being a man or being a woman is far more than having sex. It's far more than that. Simply scrolling through the internet, we would not receive that. We would not understand that. By dress, by catechesis, by standards, by thought life, we would not receive that. Sexuality or having sex. Sexuality is far more than having sex because being a man or being a woman is far more than having sex. It's not the sum total of your identity. Sex is actually something you are. But again, what does this mean for me? If I could apply it just for a moment. Why is it so important for me to understand that sex is not simply something that I do, but it's something that I am? Because reverence should color our relationships. Not a denial that you're interacting with a woman. Not a denial that you're interacting with a male, a man. But an applied reverence through acknowledging our differences as sexual beings. You see, reverence should color our relations. Because reverence recognizes men. And reverence recognizes women and honors them as sexual beings. Right? It's not a denial of sex or put it on the taboo list of things we don't discuss, particularly at church or with anyone under the age of 18. But it's rightly describing it and discussing it as God intended it. To recognize men when you're interacting with a woman. And women when you're interacting with men. That you are interacting with someone that is a different sex than you. And reverence is the appropriate response. To appreciate their maleness about them. To appreciate their femaleness about them. And to show due respect and honor to them as sexed beings. Men, you are to be men. And women, you are to be women. And neither are to be scratching posts for the opposite sex. But reverenced, upheld, appreciated, cared for, and rightly loved in marriage and before marriage, in the workplace and in private. The broader sexual identity of understanding that sex is something that you are, it's everything that you feel, say, think, and do that flows from your being. You are by being a male, you are by being a female. Understanding sexual identity more broadly helps us understand the impact of the activity then. 
And therefore, you see, sexual activity is something that you do. But hear it this way, if you could. Sexual activity is something that you do as the man or woman that you are. Therefore, it inescapably involves and deeply affects your entire personhood, for good or for ill. Again, I I want to be careful here to one word before we read the text, and that is simply that this does not mean that you are irreparable due to sexual deviance, due to sexual misbehavior, to poor and mature decisions, a number of different motivating factors that lead someone down the path of making those mistakes. No one would be preaching that. Everyone would be preaching repentance for all, an ongoing pilgrimage, or before you came to Christ, so on and so forth. So no one now is looking back on someone's activity and therefore saying that that person be ruined. No. But the idea that this attitude can pervade our lives and we can continue to live immorally is wrong. To think that we can somehow live sexually promiscuous lives, whether through viewing and self-activity or through others outside of our marriage in other activity, think that we can live this way in our members and have absolutely no effect upon our personhood is simply wrong. Look with me if you would. I'll read the text and then we'll uh, move forward. Look at with me in 1 Corinthians 6. This is exactly what Paul is identifying about how you are not just a sum total of mass tissue and that your body parts and hormones are one thing and you as a person are something else, but that your body part and your, 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 your hormones are, are in union with you and your person. Therefore, what goes on in the hormones, goes on in the activity, goes on in the body parts, is part and parcel of the effect upon you in your essence, you in your personhood. This is what Paul is trying to persuade the church with, beginning verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Body and member, you're tracking in verse 15. Body and member. Shall I then take the members of Christ? Right? Because your body is member. It's in union. Your your cavity, your body is in union. Shall I then take members that belong to him in union and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Right, he's speaking, but there is a union. The, the, the body, I've been bought, body and soul. I belong, body and soul. So am I free to do with my body what I wish, but my soul will be something other? And Paul's saying, no, never. Body and soul are in union. Read the text, verse 16. Or, do you not know that he who is joined... So so your body is joined, your member is joined to a prostitute. What's the outcome of that union? You're one. You become one body with her. For as it is written, the two, a a, a male and and a female, these two will in union, they will become one flesh. 
The two no longer, but one uh, subsided into the other. They become one. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You're in union. It's an issue of union from physicality and the essence of spirituality. You're in union. So because of this union, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. He goes on to describe it. He puts it in saying that there are categories of sin and there are types and conditions of sin. He's every other sin. So he's categorizing sins. And then, and then the Bible puts them in severities. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. This type of sin. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Might I remind you, you are not your own in this union. For you were bought with a price. So what should I do with my body? If my spirit is in union, what should I do with it? If if I'm mystically united to Christ in spirit, what does that mean for my body? It means glorify God in your body. That is what the ethic is. That is what flows from mystical union. You see, Paul is saying that there is a sort of mystical union between your body and Christ. It isn't just spiritual. But as Holy Spirit takes residence in your life as the temple of the Holy Spirit, your body, as he takes residence, is in mystical union with the Lord. And this type of union, body and soul, in that of your Savior, Jesus Christ, is jeopardized and negatively affected when you unite sexually with someone in an immoral way. Again, it's hard to parse out the mysticism of it. How and you're sitting against your own body, whether it be with pornography or within a marriage or outside of marriage and dating or living in a promiscuous life. It's hard to, to nail down the mystical aspect of that union with that person and your union in body and soul with Christ. Paul is clear. You are, as a confessional Christian, you are in union. And the ethic that ought flow from an informed union is flee sexual immorality. To do otherwise, to engage in immorality through various vehicles is to jeopardize and affect negatively that union. You see, look at verse 16 and 17 as I just kind of conclude this text. But it says, or do you not know, if you begin in verse 16, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But... He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You see, Paul says that sex 
the activity of doing so makes a couple one body. Think about that in immorality. Sexual sin is against the body. It makes one body and another body through activity one body. From two, from two individual bodies into one body in sexual union. And remember, the body isn't a standalone mass of tissue. It belongs in union to who you are as a being. Which if you add that up, that means sexual sin in an inappropriate way means that you will be inescapably affected in your feelings in your thoughts, and in your character. Again, one more comment from a journalist, actually. It says this, quote, For a Christian, there is only one right way to use the gift of sex. Again, I would maybe say sexual activity. And that is within marriage between male and between one man and one woman. This is heresy to the modern world. And it's a hard saying upon which hearts, friendships, families, and even churches have been broken. There is no core teaching of the Christian faith that is less popular today and perhaps none more important to obey. So Paul says, indeed, flee sexual immorality. You see... I want to convince you, and I hope that you're already convinced, and as I look out, I'm preaching to a choir, nonetheless nourishing, I trust, helping and aiding, even if in small bits. But I want to convince and persuade that despite what educators, policymakers, entertainers, influencers, and your peers tell you, Sex isn't something only your hormones or body parts do in some baseline contractual hookup exchange with another human being. We want it that way as a culture, but we'll never defeat nature. It will always, it will always powerfully link to your feelings as a man. To your feelings as a woman. It will be wed to your ongoing thought life as a man. To your ongoing thought life as a woman. And it will, when illicit and forbidden, it will affect your character. The hookup culture is not liberation but it is the iron chains that we sang about just a few moments ago. It wounds and destroys. It does not liberate. So what does this mean for the wise life? What shape should my sexual life take Premaritally, as we conclude our time together, what shape should my premarital sex life look like? If I'm not wed, 
I'm even perhaps seriously dating someone, or I'm not dating anyone. What advice or what shape would the wise life, what would God want for me in my premarital sex life? What shape should it take? One word. Chastity. And I'm not speaking vow, a life of. I'm speaking of purity in the wise life. To obey God's standard. To embrace it by faith, not legalism. To recognize this is for my good and for my flourishing. It's the baseline of humility to admit your way is good. Your way is right. I will hereby be nourished and aided in my life. Remember, sexual discipline, according to God's design, does not reduce pleasure, steal our happiness. But if we follow the wise life through the teacher, through Holy Scripture, we realize sexual discipline safeguards abundance. It's the path to flourishing. Also, what if I jettison wisdom and I am promiscuous or I am permissive just like the rest of culture? What does it mean for me? The answer is, it means that any attempt to satisfy one's sexual desire in a way that compromises the way that God has made you to love sexually as a man to love sexually as a woman. Any attempt to satisfy this sexual desire in a way that compromises God's design will bring to my life definite insecurity, emptiness in relations, and sorrow in my heart. What can I do if I've already sinned against the body in an immoral way? What can I do? You can repent and cling to Christ through faith. You recall in the gospel, as we repent and through faith lay hold of him as our Savior, not for some of our sin, but for all of it. We don't receive in turn part of him. We receive all of him and all of his benefits. And we can therein be rest assured we are forgiven. And then what must we do? Move forward in gratitude and rightful relations between men and women the way that God intended. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for a few moments to consider our bodies and our thought life, our ethics who we are as male and female. Help us not to deny those realities, but to embrace them and to honor one another with reverence in light of those realities, to appreciate women as women other than objects of lust, to appreciate men as men rather than oppressors and chauvinists, 
Let us love one another rightfully in all of our differences that cry out. Let us live with reverence for one another and honor and dignity. Help us under this pilgrim journey to live ethical lives sexually. To not deny it, but to rightly honor you in it. Aid us as we fight the lust of the flesh that cries out to be indulged. Help us. Help the men of this congregation, the men of this church, to be men of integrity in those hard places. Pray that you will bless the women of this congregation as mothers and sisters and daughters of this congregation, that they would lead a life of obedience and reverence that teaches and catechizes the young to see what it means to be a woman of faith, to take that post seriously for home and for church. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.